Hello, and welcome to the Collider Podcast. I'm Collider Senior Editor Matt Goldberg, and with me is Managing Editor Adam Chitwood. Howdy, folks. Today, we'll be talking about A Quiet Place Part 2 and Cruella. Both films opened last Friday and did pretty well at the box office, especially A Quiet Place Part 2, part of the sign that people are returning to movie theaters and that they're interested in these films. And there's things to say about both of them, I'd say. I'd say that both of them are, you know, some sometimes a movie opens on a weekend and we're just like, no, no, we're not good. No, we're not going to talk about that. That's not interesting. But I think there's something to be said for both A Quiet Place 2 and Cruella. So we're going to lead off uh, talking about A Quiet Place 2 and then move on to talk about Cruella. So, I mean, with Quiet Place Part 2, I, I, I wanted to lead off getting your just your thoughts on it, Adam, because I know you were a big fan of the first one. And I was curious to, to hear what you thought of the sequel. Yeah, I loved that first movie and did not expect to love it as much as I did. Um, but I really liked the emotion that Krasinski infused into the film and how it really felt like a parallel about parenting and like a story about parents and children. Um, I also thought the performances were just great all around that movie. So I was excited for A Quiet Place Part 2 a year ago when you and I were both highly anticipating it and, uh, you know, Steve was doing junkets for it and we were preparing all of our coverage and then it got delayed. Um, and in the interim, like I was excited for it, but I, it kind of, I kind of forgot about it a little bit. But when that release date of like late May came up, I was like, oh, that could be perfect because it does feel like this kind of movie is the kind of movie people really flock in droves to see out in a theater versus trying to, you know, watch it at home. Um, and I guess it should be said, this will be on Paramount plus in 45 days. If anyone has Paramount plus, <laughs> I don't think that Do you do. need another streaming service. Well, here's yeah. Paramount plus. <laughs> um, so all of that said, like I was, I like, I kind of got excited again. And this was the first movie that I saw back in a theater in over a year. Um, and I loved it. I, I thought it was really terrific. I think, you know, it's less, to me, it's less of a straight horror movie than the first one. And a little bit more of like a Spielbergian thriller. Um, it's clear. I mean, I said, I put this on Letterboxd. I said, you know, this is the movie in which John Krasinski does a better Steven Spielberg than JJ Abrams ever has. Uh, it just feels very like from the the subtle oneers to there's even a Spielberg face and that opening flashback of like them looking up at the sky. Um, but it doesn't feel derivative. It doesn't feel like Krasinski is just like, here are things that this director I like does and I will just shove them into my movie. Everything feels purposeful. I really love, I just, I just think he's a really stellar director. I, I, I thought every single beat in this movie was pretty spot on. I liked the idea of essentially making the kids the protagonists in this in this movie. Like they, it's a lot of it is from their perspective and their point of view, and they're the ones that now have to kind of take up the mantle. There was a little something in there of you know you know when parents fail you, the kids have to take charge and and move forward and be better than their parents ever were. Um, Millicent Simmons, I thought, was really terrific. Killian uh, Murphy, I think, is phenomenal. I I really love the casting of him in this film as well. Um, and we'll keep it spoiler free for people who haven't seen, but I, I like the direction that that goes in. Um, but I don't know, man, I, I was on my edge, the, uh, on the edge of my seat the entire time I got emotional in the film. I think it really, it would have been easy to make this movie, which takes place like literally it picks up literally right after the first one left off. It would have been really easy to kind of drop the whole, like their dad just died thing, but they don't like, it still feels like a film about grief and that emotional through line is, is still threaded throughout. 
especially in Emily Blunt's performance, which I think is really good. Um, so I don't know. I, I feel like there were a lot of missteps, a lot of mistakes that could have happened here. And, and Krasinski really elegantly sidestepped all of those. Yeah, I think it was Krasinski who said that, like, you know, they were going to make a sequel whether I was involved or not. So yeah. I decided to be involved. Mm-hmm. And I think it's almost is the better for it. I feel like while the plotting isn't quite as tight in this one, there's some things that I feel are a bit looser or not really capitalized upon in a way like, you know, and this is alluded to in the trailer. Like there's, there's some people ain't worth saving, you know, like there are bad people out there. Um, And sort of like when the world falls apart, there are, there are people who will, you know, desperate people who will harm you. Um, And I don't think the film, I think the film uses that as threat, but not necessarily as subtext. Uh, in the character's journey, but it's fine. There's a there's an actor who showed up who I was not expecting in this film <laughs> as an unnamed character, no less. You're not expecting the actor, and yet when they show up, they are exactly who you expect that they would be playing in this movie. <laughs> yes, it's great casting for an actor you didn't expect to show up. <laughs> yeah, and they show up, and you're like, "Is that?" And you're like, "Ah, oh, yep, uh huh, makes sense, makes sense, perfect, perfect." Right. Um, and, and I kind of wished I I I have to search out. Some some, some Krasinski interviews to be like, how did you cast him for this yeah. role? Um, but I feel like on the whole, like the film work, like I get, I, I, I get what I wanted out of, uh, out of these movies, which is that I get that sense of, you know, tension that you can take for about 95 minutes and no more. Yeah. And that, and it's great. Like it's good for what it is as sort of a PG 13 thriller slash horror film. I think it was smart to sort of lean more into the emotional beats while still having the thrills. But like, ultimately, I think part of the first film's strength derived from the fact that like, you didn't really see the monsters that much until the end. Yeah. And so now that we've seen the monsters, it's hard to play that trick again. So you just have to sort of be like, there are monsters out here. Like, you know, the rules at this point. Yeah. And so it's better to just... You know, I, I think it was wise to take a new angle on it. And yeah, there again, there are there are places where you can nitpick it, but I think it's doing it's hitting the beats that it needs to to make it a fulfilling story. And I, I'm with you. I think it it wisely, you know, if you were going into this film being like, well, Emily Blunt doesn't have a lot to do. I'm like, who who cares? Like, <laughs> like it's oh, are you worried about Emily Blunt's career now? Like she's gonna be fine. I think it yep. was a smart move to sort of have. Noah Jupe and Millicent Simmons and, and Killian Murphy carry this one and they all do a great job. So yeah, I, I feel like for a film, like if you're like, this is the first film I want to see when I go back to theaters, like it's a, it's a good selection. Well, and it gives it a fresh perspective too, because it, you know, the problem with sequels is like, I've seen this before. So if it's just Emily Blunt, you know, now has to lead her family as a single mother you kind of saw that in the first movie because it was, you know, it was two parents and there was a little bit of tension between them about how to exactly go about this world. Um, but also trying to protect their children and everything that that entails. So I really like the idea of kind of shifting and not like fully, it's not like Emily Blunt disappears, but the primary point of view of this movie is the children. Like it's, it's their story. It's through their eyes. They're carrying this thing forward. Um, what decisions are they going to make? What are they going to do to try and stay alive and find some kind of semblance of, of peace or hope, uh, you know, in this world. And oddly enough, like the film that 
the Spielberg movie that kept coming to my mind was War of the Worlds. It feels like that might have been a, a pretty heavy inspiration on it because it's it's so point of view oriented. You're really only seeing stuff from like you're only seeing things happen that they see happen, um, and kind of that tension between like a thriller and a monster movie, but also the humans themselves are also scary in addition to the monsters. Yeah. Uh, I also feel like a touchstone of it is, and this one may seem a little left field, but is Empire of the Sun, where you have a kid yeah. who is really forced to grow up fast. Yeah. Um, you can definitely see that a lot in these two performances. And just like, even just on a pure craft level, I think Krasinski is a tremendous filmmaker. Like I said, the Spielberg winners, you know, Spielberg is famous for doing these long takes that you don't necessarily know are, are all done in one shot because they're not flashy. They're not showy. They're motivated entirely by uh, character. A really good example is in Raiders, uh, at the beginning of Raiders, when Indy and Brody have just gotten the assignment to go and find the Ark of the Covenant. There's a scene that plays out in, in Indy's house between Indy and Brody as Indy is packing. That scene takes place and takes plays out entirely in one single shot, one single take. But it's not flashy. It's not, you know, and the camera's not like following them around. It's just kind of subtly keeping you in the moment and not giving you a chance to like have your mind wander or think about something else it really keeps that conversation uh, front of mind. And I think that's put to good use in this film as well, especially as a thriller. Um, but one noteworthy example is, you know, there is a flashy one at the beginning of the film, but I think there are a lot of other scenes that play out in long takes that, that work really well and kind of up that tension. Um, I just really like the kind of lean aspect of these films. Like, you know, it doesn't necessarily, like if it was just thrilling, I think it probably would have been fine, but by by baking the emotion so important to it, by like having a scene where you can have Millicent Simmons's character fear that she has lost her cochlear implant. And like, this is a, you know, this is the thing that's going to give her hope. This is the thing that could take out the monsters, but it's this really touching emotional moment, the way that it plays out. Uh, and I won't spoil like what else happens there, but like just little subtle touches like that of like grounding this thing and the emotion of the characters and letting you kind of feel what they feel versus here's some people and we're going to throw some shit at them. Right. Yeah. I feel like, yes, there is sort of the, like, how do we defeat the monsters is like the plot fuel, but it's not really what these movies are about. And I think it's, yeah. they're, they're better for it. Yeah. And really, I would also see another oh, one too. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. I would see this trilogy play out if uh, if that's what they they want to do. Um, but yeah, I, I I feel like these are solid films, and uh, you know, I don't I don't really have I, I don't have that much more to say without going into spoilers. And I you know I think people are still checking it out, so I don't really want to say any more more than that. I will say I was pleasantly surprised. I mean, it was going back to the theater and I was super excited about it, but you know, a quiet place, you want the audience to be quiet right. for the movie to work. Um, and my audience was, was great. Like it just felt like people were into it and, and ready to behave appropriately at the movies. See, and I've, I've only seen one film with a crowd thus far. Like I've gone back to the movies, but they've been press screening. So it's like only a smattering of, of, of critics, but I did see Conjuring uh three with a crowd and they did not know how to behave they were just like <laughs> on their phone my my favorite part was there's something like in like the conjuring there's like something dripping from the ceiling and the dude behind me goes it's dripping like, <laughs> what are you yeah way to go blues clues like <laughs> good job 
you're you're really really valuable commentary here but could that be because the movie was not very good mm, i mean it was pretty born. early on i mean it's not like it lost <laughs> them okay um, but no the movie is also not very good but that i think that's beside the point yeah um but yes it, i suppose it does help that a quiet place part two is good um okay well with that let's let's move on to some cruella talk because i think there's for cruella there's a lot more for me to say about that film um because it's sort of on the one hand it is kind of and you and i talked about this before not on the show but but just in our, our conversations that in a weird way cruella is a promising path forward for like disney is not going to stop mining their own catalog for live action adaptations like that's just part of their business plan now. They don't want to make original features. They want to take their animated library and turn them live action. But at least something like Cruella is kind of weird and different in that way. It's not like a shot for shot remake of 101 Dalmatians. It's yeah. not like what they were, or something like, I would even say like something like Beauty and the Beast, where not only is it trying to recreate every scene, but everything they add is some tedious explanation of something that didn't need to be explained. Like, what? why did no one remember all the servants when they were turned in? It's like, who fucking cares, YouTube? Shut up. <laughs> uh, so my experience watching Cruella was that I had a blast. Uh, thought it was super fun. Uh, thought it was kind of dumb. And wholly unnecessary. <laughs> so like these kind of like conflicting right. ideas were like, can you say a movie fails if you had a really good time watching it? Like if you were entertained, if you felt so, joy while watching. The 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 analogy I gave to, to your point, uh, the analogy I gave to the publicist being like, ooh, what'd you think of the movie? I was like, it's like Arby's in that I enjoyed it at the, while I was eating it, <laughs> but I'm not going to feel good about myself afterwards. And that's Cruella. Like I enjoyed it while I was watching it, but also I am completely aware that it's wreaking havoc on my digestive system. <laughs> I don't feel bad about it. I, I reject that analogy completely. But I do feel a little bad about it. Like I, I so like there are things about it that are like, on the one hand, I kind of, I give a lot of credit to director Craig Gillespie and the cast who all seem to be having a blast. Like they're all, like no one seemed to be show up and, and cashing a paycheck. They're all like, let's get in big costumes and like, you know, be very, you know, chew the scenery and be very broad and funny. And let's just, you know, have, have a ball with it. But if you like look beneath the surface, you can sort of see all of like the studio's calculations and all the screenplay calculations be like, well, you know, our plot here is about two warring fashion designers, but we can't just make a movie about warring fashion designers because that's not IP. What if we transplanted it onto a Cruella DeVille origin story? Okay, well, what do we know about Cruella DeVille? Well, I know that she wants to skin puppies and turn them into a coat. Okay, time out. What if she doesn't want to skin puppies, but likes coats? Like, well, that's about half of the character then, isn't it? And to me, like trying to thread that needle of like, it's not really Cruella DeVille because the actual Cruella DeVille is a horrible, like a horrible villain and rightly so to sort of be like, well, she's, you know, bad, but in a different way that won't offend anyone because obviously any, any character whose MO is to skin puppies is irredeemable so we can't have that we have to sort of work awkwardly work our way around it 
And again, if you just sort of like go on the ride of Cruella, you can have fun with it. But every time the film tries to engage with that, you can just feel it sort of bumping up against like, what are you doing here? What, what is this reliance on IP so overbearing that you have to sort of figure out, well, it is 101 Dalmatians, but it's not. Like it's, yeah. it's a weird sort of dance to do. Well, and that's like the, the Disney live action remakes I've liked the most have been the ones that have like gone a, like far afield. Like Pete's Dragon, I think is a really lovely, mm. compassionate movie that feels pretty different from the animated film. Yes. Um, gosh, oh, uh, I really like uh, Kenneth Branagh's Cinderella. I think that's one of the best ones. That one I like, although that one is also, I mean. And that yeah. one's pretty faithful. Pretty faithful, but not in such a way that like, like they don't like they they are like it's not a musical for instance yeah. so already you're kind of you know i felt like brana cinderella is able to sort of match plot beats but add enough texture that it feels like its own thing i think his cinderella is surprisingly good yeah i i still think it's the best of the bunch of, mm. of all the disney live action remakes what i loathe is the shot for shot beat for beat Beauty and the Beast and Lion King and so, even Aladdin to a degree. I mean, Aladdin is total. Way. I mean, Aladdin to me is the same realm of Beauty and the Beast, which is like, we're going to match it. You know, we're going to, we're going to keep pretty much everything except add more things to make it longer and explain things that didn't need to be explained. We'll add one like, new song to try and get an Oscar. We'll add one new song, but like also there's going to be a scene where you put Agrabah on a map and it's like, why? <laughs> No, like, where is Agrabah? What do its neighbors think? Who cares? So that's why I don't really feel bad about liking Cruella because I feel like it is different enough. And mm. I'll be blunt, I do not remember 101 Dalmatians at all. Like, I, I have very little memory of that. See, and I have, I have very fresh memories of 101 Dalmatians because I'm working my way through the Disney animated library. So yeah. I watch it and I'm like, her plan is dumb. Like, Cruella, <laughs> I wrote a whole article about how dumb Cruella's plan is because her plan is to kidnap all these puppies and to make a coat. But it's like, it's in the papers that all these puppies have gone missing. And she's going to wear the evidence of her crime. <laughs> like, like that, it doesn't seem like a perfect plan to me. Not, not too smart, Cruella. To no, she's not too smart. I, I would also, before we get further, I, I was kind of curious. I, I don't know your thoughts on what I would say is probably the closest cousin to Cruella that Disney's made thus far is Maleficent. And I don't know your thoughts on Maleficent. Because it's I the same it. sort of like villain, but prequel and not yeah. who you think she is. I think it's boring as shit. <laughs> <laughs> if, you, if I must be truthful, you know it's funny. Yeah, I um, I was I was hanging out with some other critics before the Conjuring screening, and they were talking about oh they had just seen uh they had just watched um those who wish me dead and they're like hey yeah Angelina Jolie hasn't been in anything lately and I'm like yeah she has it came out in 2019 and you <laughs> forgot it and they're like and I, they racked their brain these are people who see movies for a living and they're like what movie was she in I was like Cruella or not Cruella uh, Maleficent Mistress of Evil <laughs> that's there was a I still have not movie. seen I, I want was, to see it I'll watch it on Disney plus but I'm not going to go to any great lengths to watch that movie <laughs> I will say the best thing about Maleficent Mistress of Evil is that it looks like it cost 180 million and it looks like it cost 180 million. Like the money is there on screen. It's yeah. a dumb, it's a, it's a stupid plot and it's not really like, it's kind of a waste of time, but I mean, as far as like, Ooh, they, you know, they made a lot of costumes and they made a lot of sets and you yeah. know, there's a VFX budget. Like it's, it looks, 
it doesn't look cheap. And I don't know why you, I mean, and I looked at like how much the first Maleficent made. I'm like, oh, that's why they spent that money. Cause the yeah. first Maleficent made like 700 million worldwide, which you wouldn't. Well, and it was like right on the heels of Alice in Wonderland. And they mm. felt like such cousins in terms of like, let's just do like insane CG everything. This was right. Like shortly after the, Alice I mean, they hired the guy they hired. I think he was the production designer on mm-hmm. Alice or yeah. he was certainly the production designer on Avatar. That yeah, was he was a production designer. Yeah. Yeah. So no. it, I don't know. It just like this. St- and I like I barely remember Sleeping Beauty. So I don't have a connection to Maleficent or the I will say, I'll say right now, like because it's on Disney Plus, you should watch Sleeping Beauty because it is probably yeah. the most gorgeous of the 2D animated films of that era. I need I mean, to go. I've been I've era. been intending to go back and, and watch them like you have. I just have not done so yet i watched lilo and stitch for the first time so that's you know oh that's that's nice yeah it's nice it's a nice movie i enjoyed it um but yeah like cruella i feel like i guess to me what's frustrating about cruella is that it's not allowed to just be its own story like disney would not be like hey we want to make a movie about warring fashion designers in 1970s london yeah which to me, as a pitch, that sounds really cool. And it's like, we're gonna get Emma Stone and Emma Thompson. It's gonna be from the director of I, Tonya. Uh, Tanya, I don't know how to pronounce her name. <laughs> Tanya um, Harding. Yes. Tanya, Tanya, Tanya. Um, to me, like, if you take it all piecemeal, it's just like, it. to me, that's a really inciting pitch, but it's just the sort of, the corporate, like, the corporate necessity says everything must be streamlined through an IP. And that is 101 Dalmatians, even though I would argue that 101 Dalmatians, like it's a name, you know, but like, do you know the movie? Like I could ask people like, what do you know about like who, what are the name? Like, what are the names of the main Dalmatians in 101 Dalmatians? Who are the parents? So that's Maybe the thing. Some people is know it and some people don't. Well, and that's the thing is they're not, they're not doing these live action remakes because 101 Dalmatians is so popular. They're doing it because it's all in-house. Like right. if Cruella is a success, it renews interest in 101 Dalmatians, which is streaming on Disney plus, which can have more characters in the theme parks, which could lead to an attraction or some kind of thing in the theme parks. It's all about corporate synergy. Right. And they so have it's tons- kind of like, we own this. Why not? Like Pete's dragon that no one was clamoring for a Pete's dragon remake. No. And, and that was the least successful of all of them, even though I think it was one of the best. But No, I mean, that's the thing. If, if Cruella is successful, then not only do you sell a bunch of Cruella merch, but you have all this 101 Dalmatians merch that you can build off of. Like, it's, yeah. again, it's corporate synergy, which, but to me, the corporate synergy is so overbearing in Cruella that it kind of takes me out of the movie, even though I think the film does everything in its power to try to keep me in the moment. Like it does try like w- between the performances and the many, many, many needle drops, which our own Greg Smith has ranked and you mm-hmm. should definitely check those out. Um, you know, I feel like the film, there, there's Cruella, the sort of innocuous revenge story, butting up against Cruella character from 101 Dalmatians and that's the tension that I felt throughout the movie and to me I feel like that gets epitomized in you know the scene that's been going around Twitter which is where Cruella's mom gets knocked off a cliff by Dalmatians (laughs) and like yeah it's it's in a vacuum and like it's out of context but 
Yeah, the context is pretty much what you thought it is. Like Cruella watches her mom get knocked, and it happens early in the film. And like when I saw that happen, I was like, what? <laughs> what just happened? And yet that moment is so silly that it's part of a better film that knows it's kind of silly and campy and, and willing to have fun with it. But there, it has to be Dalmatians doing it because this is a one, like it's, it, to me, it, it epitomizes that tension that the film has. I think it's actually a good scene. It, it's emblematic of the movie, uh, not an outlier. I think Gillespie knows he's flirting with camp and I think the film is is pretty mm-hmm. campy in and of itself. I think he knows what he's doing. Versus- oh, he knows, but I'm saying that like the corporate mandates that he's wrestling with are sort of- Yeah, it's a back and forth. Tension. I will say I hated that out of context clip going around. Like no matter how like funny it might be or how like, oh yeah, I guess it's kind of in context. I just, just like load the whole like, oh, well, I've seen 30 seconds. So I now have the full- Oh no, I mean, it's definitely, I, I would say, I mean, as part of, as a as a- bit of social media it's awful because it's all everyone is just rushing to dunk on the latest thing how can yeah. i dunk like i just i need to be the funniest meanest person yes. here i need those likes in our team i need i need Please to be subscribe the, yeah i need to be savvy and in the know and like look i'm not saying you have to like cruella or dislike cruella but like it's just again it's 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 so much snark that you could choke on it understand that tension that's happening in the film and even gillespie said they shot two versions of each scene they would shoot a a version that was a little more risque or a little edgier and then they would shoot a super clean version and he said by and large they went with the the edgier version every time but just the fact that he had to do that is pretty you know that kind of tells you what it's like to make one of these movies because you're playing with house money like you're playing with a lot of money and future potential money from the studio and they want you to handle it in a in a specific way but you know my whole thing is like if we're gonna do this and we are gonna do this because disney no longer makes original films um give me more movies like cruella like at least take some swings yeah absolutely no i would i would i would watch cruella and honestly i would re-watch cruella even though it's a little long i would re-watch cruella before i ever had any inclination to rewatch the live action Lion King. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I like that live action Lion King is one of my least favorite movies I've seen in like the past 10 years. I just really hated the experience of watching it. It really <laughs> was, was the fucking point. I mean, the point was to be a tech demo. It was basically yeah. like John Favreau being like, look what we can do with VR. It birthed and... us the Mandalorian to be fair, but right. But that's the thing. It's, it's tech. It's, it's, it's yeah. tech devoid of any sort of impulsive storytelling. And if anything, draining the the source material of its lively. I mean, it's it's such a cult, like there's no color to it. There's no life to it. It and and honestly, by trying to make it look realistic, they drained the emotion from it. Like, you know, those lion, you know, lions are not the most expressive creatures when they're no. done realistically. There's a reason you sometimes have to do things as a cartoon. Yeah. Uh, so stupid <laughs> i hate that movie but i will watch barry jenkins sequel or prequel or whatever it is so because yeah. he's barry jenkins because he's barry jenkins exactly yeah. um yeah i would also say just to cruella's credit i mean not only do they i like i did like the way that they just come out the gate being like she is not going to harm dogs by not only having <laughs> her like adopt a dog in the prologue but also then her accomplices have their own dog who is a criminal. And like, let's give it up for Wink. Yes, Wink is tremendous. Wink is the hero that we need. It's also this, you know, this push and pull between, I think it's the right thing to do to lean towards CG dogs because 
there's just too much you don't know about with training animals and mm-hmm. what it would do to them and having them on set. Um, but it largely, it's usually distracting. I think Wick is perfect. Uh, and I think it was a blend or maybe it was all CG. I don't know. But I think the way they uh, brought him to the screen was terrific. I am I am always going to be in favor of CGI animals over yeah. the real thing just because like, yeah, it may not be the most real. It may not be as realistic, but the technology will eventually get there. Mm-hmm. And more importantly, that you know, no animals were harmed in the making of this film. Yeah, or just, I mean, they're confused. They don't know what they're doing. They're, they and also, it's not like they're getting paid. No. <laughs> it's not like, how dare you deprive these dogs of their paychecks? The one uh, I, the one exception I will say recently was uh, Love and Monsters, uh, for which I guess Dylan O'Brien formed this just like tremendous bond with the dog at the center mm. of that movie. Um, and that really played out on screen really directly. That's fair. But yeah, That's, I agree. By and large, it's probably not. A good yeah, thing. like I mean, they used like a CGI dog in Call of the Wild, and I was like, eh, whatever. Yeah, it's, sure. it's clearly a CGI dog. It's more expressive than a real dog, but whatever. Yeah, I'm not. I, I don't know. I, I don't stay up nights being like, man, that fucking dog in Call of the Wild. Why didn't they just use <laughs> a real dog? So yeah, I um, Cruella is in its own way like it's it to me it, it epitomizes things that are wrong with studio movie making and yet if we accept that this is just the way things are there's oddly something promising in Cruella as well like it's promising with regard to how you could do these Disney adaptations but it's frustrating that they have to be adaptations at all when any good story has to just first filter through like well what Disney property does it most you know does it resemble yeah like I am at, like I, I wonder like going to Disney and like I have a great story to pitch and they're like great, can it be more like, <laughs> you know, can it be? Can we fit it into the mold of Dumbo? Remember well, Dumbo, Adam? <laughs> I have not, still not seen Dumbo. <laughs> I'm like one day I will watch Dumbo. Dumbo I've seen every Tim Burton movie. I may as well watch Dumbo. Is, I mean, since we're talking about live action adaptations, Dumbo is weird because it. I mean, it's bad. And it's, it's a, I would, I would say it's a creative nader for Tim Burton, but let's be honest, like he's been in that nader for a while, but it's also like very like, ha ha ha, let's poke fun at Disney theme parks. Like, it's so weird that the film exists. <laughs> I, I need to see it because uh, I also need to see the original Dumbo because I haven't seen that since. Oh, I that film's it. rough. <laughs> it's rough. But yeah, I think, um, I, I mean, I interviewed JJ Abrams recently and I asked him, it was the interview was tied to super eight. And I said, do you think super eight could be made today? And he was talking about how, you know, he loved the invisible man, but like, you know, the invisible man didn't necessarily need to be called the invisible man. It was so specific and unique unto itself. It really bore little resemblance to the original film. And he said, he's now getting pitches on stuff um, at, under his deal at Warner brothers or DC and people will pitch stuff tied to something. And he'll be like, that's so specific that could probably work on its own. But he acknowledged that he, like, that's what it feels like people are doing now is like trying to come up with an original idea and then attaching it to an IP so it can actually get made. Right, which is just sad. I mean, I, like, I feel like it just, <clears throat> first off, aside from the fact that it just cannibalizes everything and so that nothing, nothing new gets produced, like everything is just a, a, a you know, derives from some pre, something that was popular with an earlier generation. It also just, I think, 
at some point you run out of, of things like, or it just becomes like, well, let's do another remake of something that was remade, you know, at this time. So Mm -hmm. instead of getting, like, if I come to you and be like, I want to do a movie about, you know, the Greek gods fighting and you'd be like, that's great. Let's do clash of the Titans again. And it's like, (laughs) but we just did, we did clash of the Titans in like 2010. You remember, remember clash of the Titans? I do remember clash of the Titans 3d rushed 3d post conversion 3d. Right. And so instead of being like, Oh, you have an interesting original idea. Let's make that. They're like, this is good, but it'd be better if it was attached to a name that people kind of remember. <laughs> like yeah. that have a loose, not, not that it was good because I've seen the original Clash of the Titans and it's not that good. But like, <laughs> as long as there's a loose association out in the world, it is therefore defensible. And I just, it's, it's depressing. Yeah. It's uh, not the best, not the greatest. No. So we'll see. I mean, to tie, to bring it all back around, John Krasinski's next project is an original film that he's making with Ryan Reynolds. So there are some filmmakers who were using that clout to then, you know, not necessarily attach themselves to a Marvel movie or a DC movie or something and, and try and further kind of some kind of original story. Yeah. And I, sh- and I guess we should at least give these a chance when they come along. Like speaking of Ryan Reynolds, I'm not super excited for free guy, but you know, it is, it is an original IP, you know, yeah looks goofy enough i suppose it's mm-hmm. more of my wariness of sean levy movies than anything else yeah he's hit or miss but you, you know, know it looks but fun. it looks fine i mean i don't know i feel like post pandemic at least you know for the remainder of 2021 you're going to see me a lot more open-minded about what i'm willing to go to the theater for <laughs> like as, yeah, I, said, as like, I get to go back to the theater it's kind of like if this is what we're doing at least do it like cruella and not like beauty and the beast like right. at least give me something like slightly original or mm-hmm. slightly new which again to tie it back to a quiet place part two not a rehash of the first movie it is a sequel yeah sure but i think it takes a story in an interesting direction i also feel like disney felt that they had the latitude with cruella to sort of do this because they had technically already done the live action remake with the glenn close 101 dalmatians yeah and this cruella it should be said has been in development for years yes. like this isn't something that they like came up with after the success of the lion king and beauty and the beast this is one of those that they've been like noodling around on for a long, long time. Yeah. I'm trying to think what, I mean, in the pipeline, they've got Little Mermaid, which I think is going to be very faithful. Yeah. Um, oh, for sure. Rob Marshall's we, not coming into up in anything. <laughs> <laughs> and I say that it like, you know, Rob Marshall made one of the best movie musicals of all time, but he also made Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides. So, right. Um, but like, I, I'm, so there's Little Mermaid. Is there what else is there? They're working. There's on? Geppetto, or Pinocchio, or whatever. Bob Zemeckis and Tom Hanks. Robert, I mean, Robert Zemeckis, man. Yeah. <laughs> Just... But that's a Disney Plus original, so that's not even getting the benefit of the doubt of like, oh, well, maybe it'll be theatrical. I mean, you want you want to talk about someone enamored of technology to the expense of all else? Let me introduce you to Bob Zemeckis <laughs> yes. in the 21st century. <laughs> There's also Peter Pan and Wendy from David Lowry. Um, coming off of the green night <laughs> so like that guy is just making diverse films and i love it i love it um is there anything else yeah let me look it up because <laughs> i'm trying to think you know how much because you know at some point like what how many you know how, how deep a cut are you going to make into your library yeah i mean well there's hercules i was thinking about like the 90s movies like mm-hmm. what's left there's hercules 
Uh, there's a Prince Charming movie some, from Stephen Jabosky. Um, Peter Pan and Wendy. Snow White from Mark Webb, which maybe is happening. There's a Hunchback of Notre Dame remake somewhere in the works. That one's not like on the front burner or anything, though. A Robin Hood, maybe. Yeah, I just, I, you know, it's interesting watching going through the Bambi. <laughs> I forgot to do <laughs> Bambi. With photorealistic oh. technology, bold oh, bold God. move to make Bambi a film that doesn't really have a plot. Um, There's some of these that have been around for ages. Like Nick Hornby was writing a Tinkerbell movie for Sam Mendes, and that mm. was you know five six years ago. Right. Yeah, I just you know something I would like to see, especially if Disney has the flexibility of Disney Plus, I would like to see them take another stab at like a Fantasia, where like they're using you know, their bottomless resources to be like, we can get any music we want. Yep. What if we gave animators the experimental latitude to be like, you can make this. And that way you're not like banking it all on Fantasia, but like you, you're creating something a little more experimental and different, but still in the mold of what was originally intended by Walt Disney. They're kind of doing something similar. I mean, they have these short films on Disney plus that are right. pretty interesting and they have, this thing called Zenimation, which is supposed to like you know meditate to. I guess maybe they consider that. I I I well, can't imagine they would. I guess what I'm saying is, is if you're going to make short films anyway, why not put it under the Fantasia banner? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, we'll see. Everything is about safety at this point. Oh, absolutely! So it's incredibly. I mean, that's the thing. Like, I, it doesn't. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me to be like all hail Disney. Like Disney is fun and it's comforting, but it's also incredibly risk averse. Yeah. Like you're not, which to me makes it even more puzzling of like, what does the future of Disney look like when they own Fox Searchlight or yeah. now just Searchlight Pictures? Like, as for, cause we now know that like for them to own Fox, it means like make more Home Alone movies, make more yeah. <laughs> franchise movies. We have faith in Kingsman of all things. Um, <laughs> but remember the for, King's man? which is just like sitting on a shelf somewhere. <laughs> She'll come out someday. Um, yeah, like I, I just feel like what does Disney do with, because like Searchlight Pictures, I mean, what isn't, I mean, Nightmare Alley is from Searchlight Pictures, correct? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what happens there? Like, I mean, technically Searchlight Pictures is doing their job. They won another Oscar for Nomadland, but. Yeah, but the two longtime heads of Searchlight just left. They retired. Mm -hmm. So I think we'll see what happens next. Like this year, the Searchlight Pictures movies that are coming out this year are either left over from before or were already being shepherded by those right. two execs. I think starting in 2022, 2023, that's when we'll see what this next evolution My is. My fear is like Disney's going to be like, you need to make 501 days of summer. Yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Remakes and reboots and sequels of indie movies. <laughs> of indie movies. And Little Miss, what is Sun Little Miss Sunshine. Little, what's Little Miss Sunshine up? up to these days? Now she has her <laughs> yes. own daughter and she's got a personality. Oh, Little okay. Miss Sunshine too. Weird. This is uh I just made myself super sad. <laughs> Let's uh maybe wrap this up. <laughs> Let's do it. Uh all right. Well, what have you seen lately that you'd like to talk about? Uh well, I've been slowly making my way through Girls Five Eva. Um, which is the show on Peacock. Uh, technically, the creators are Robert Carlock and Jeff Richmond. Uh, Robert Carlock, who co-created co and co-ran 30 Rock with Tina Fey. 
um, and Jeff Richmond, who is Tina Fey's husband um, and longtime musical director of SNL. Uh, and Tina Fey is an executive producer on it. And the showrunner of it is a woman named Meredith Scardino, um, who's worked on other previous Fey Carlet projects. So it's, you know, it's apt to call it the next project from like the creators of 30 Rock and Kimmy Schmidt, like it's the next thing that they did. And it's really funny. I, I really enjoy it. It's about, so it takes place in present day, but it's about four. So it's Busy Phillips, Sarah Bareilles, Renee Elise Goldsberry, and Paula Pell. So four women who were part of a girl group in the early 2000s that was kind of like a Destiny's Child or a, like a Spice Girls, like very much that kind of flavor or like one of like a billion of like those girl groups that there's a joke in the show about how they had a song on the Blue Crush soundtrack. So it's like, it's that kind of thing. Um, and when the show begins, they're all like living their own separate adult lives at this point, but their song gets sampled by a rapper. All of a sudden there's like renewed interest. So they try and get the gang back together and and try and try and make it as a girl group in, you know, the 2020s now where girl groups are no longer a thing. Um, but it's very funny. Renee Elise Goldsberry is fantastic. She plays kind of like the diva of the group. Busy Phillips is like the airheaded blonde of the group who's married to a guy played by Andrew Rannells who was in a boy band. And so they were like a famous couple, but he is clearly gay, but not like admitting that he's gay. So it's a, there's a lot of like fun, you know, it's, it's, but that storyline and I'm almost to the end of the season, that storyline actually takes, uh, it goes in a direction that's more thoughtful than you might think it's going. Um, but there's like, it's playing on the tropes of like the early 2000s, like pop sphere and, um, you know, women trying to do it today. Paula Pell, Pell's character is a dentist now. So like, and Paula Pell is, oh, she's so funny in the show. But if you have Peacock or I have like the free version or whatever, I would highly suggest checking it out. It's just really funny. They're half hour episodes. The songs are fantastic earworms. So I'm really enjoying yeah, it. I think I'll give that a spin this weekend. Yeah, it's fun. It's just like a fun delightful way to spend some time so cool. and it's got that pop 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 joke ratio of 30 rock so. right uh for me uh i wanted to plug a an upcoming series we're going to be doing on the site uh which i've i've dubbed the ticking clock but basically the thing about streaming is films are always leaving streaming at the you know they're always cycling in and out and it creates this sort of deadline of, oh, if I want to watch that, I'm running out of time. But I think that urgency helps focus your queue instead of just streaming endlessly. You've got, it's like, okay, I really only have until this date to watch this film. So this is moving to the top of the list. And so for the first installment, a film that's leaving Netflix on June 30th is Jason X, which I had never seen before. <laughs> um, I'm not like a Friday the 13th expert. I've seen the first one, I've seen Freddy versus Jason and I've seen the, I think it was 2009 was the remake uh, reboot, which I actually really like. Uh, I thought that was a really good reboot. Yeah. Um, and now Jason is now the Friday the 13th franchise is stuck in like rights, hell licensing, hell, like it, no one knows, seems to know who owns it or who can make a movie out of it, which is a bummer because I think there's still an audience for, for Friday the 13th. But what's interesting about Jason X, which came out in 2001 is like, they, it doesn't even pretend to try to be a horror film. And it's at this point, it's like, Jason's just so silly. And to be fair, by this point, he had 
been to Manhattan and he had been to hell. Like, where else are you going to send him? And the answer is outer fucking space. So Jason gets cryogenically frozen, gets discovered by a group of like basically a class field trip on their, on their visiting desolated earth. They bring him back to their spaceship. He wakes up and just starts slaughtering. And that's the movie. And it's really funny. And it knows it's funny and it doesn't care. Like it doesn't have any real respect for Jason as a franchise or like, you know, the history it's just like here's the dude in his hockey mask and he's in space now and he's gonna murder people and as a 90 minute thing on netflix you could do far worse you could do far worse than jason x as this just dumb entertaining thing that knows exactly what it is and proceeds to just do it um it knows that it's silly it knows that it's funny um it's but honestly I think like if you want to do like a straight Jason film, like I think like the two the two thousand nine remake is is very it's very solid. I, I highly recommend it. But as something that's sort of like okay, well, this is the Friday the Thirteenth franchise sort of on it running on fumes. That's Jason X, and I think it's interesting for what it is. Um, just don't don't go in expecting like oh is this a horror film? It's not a horror. Film. I mean it has gore, <laughs> but that doesn't make something a horror film. So I I would uh, I'd recommend checking that one out. And if you want to read more about it this weekend, uh, I'll have uh, my article about it uh, on the site. And uh, please check it out. I saw that movie in the theater. Oh my goodness! I had only ever seen the first Friday the Thirteenth movie. My friends and I were like, let's go see Jason X because it was Jason in space. But that also came at a weird time where there were a lot of horror movies set in space, like the Species franchise. There was just a lot of like- Species, what didn't, can we... when, when did Leprechaun go to space? <laughs> I don't remember. But movies like The Astronaut's Wife, like there was a fascination with space around this time and like horror and scariness. Space, space. horror, yeah. Yeah, Event Horizon. Um... Which is weird because it's like Alien was so, was so much longer ago. <laughs> like yeah. Alien was 1979. And Jason X is like the dumbest possible version of Alien. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in terms of just picking people off on a spaceship. Um, but then again, you know, Alien Resurrection was 98. So mm -hmm. there you go. Uh, okay. Well, thank you all so much for listening. If you want to keep up with this podcast, you should follow us on Twitter. Adam, where can we find you on Twitter? At Adam Chitwood. And you can find me at Matt Goldberg. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back with you next week.